Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerninghearts.com presents Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Dr. Turek is a professor of theology and chair of Domatic Theology at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. She received her doctorate in Sacred Theology at the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Her other publications include Towards a Theology of God the Father, Atonement, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Here is your host, Evan Collins. I think that kind of naturally leads us to the third of those three factors integral to the process of atonement, which is man's participation and willing collaboration in eliminating sin and guilt. Because we were talking about the context of reciprocal love and all we've been talking about the old Testament notion of sin, you give really helpfully in the text, the complex dimensionality of sin. We don't want to have a strictly legal view of sin. I think that kind of eliminates the lived experience of sin that we've experienced. So for the sake of brevity, I'm going to say the kind of three things so that we can immediately dive into how Atonement converts these afterwards. So the three dimensions of sin that you kind of give is that inner attitude of the doer. So in sin, it's a turning away from God. We've kind of established that it's disobedience, it's infidelity, like we just illustrated in that really tangible example. And I think that that helps us get it. And then the second aspect is it's an evil deed, right? It's, It's a transgression, like something that is done. You don't, sin doesn't just like happen to you. It's committed. Sin is something that is committed. And then the third is the consequent punishments or effects. And then the one that you highlight, particularly in the text, and I think that this is right, is um, chiefly it's distance from God. And we kind of see these illustrated in the Psalms, like David is crying out, like, I want to see your face, you know, turn your face to me, these sorts of things. And there's a clear reality that when we sin, we're turning away from God. It's obviously a disobedience to God because he is love and he only wants us to love each other and him. And we're committing an act of infidelity in the communion that all of reality is supposed to orient us towards. And we've done it. So that's a deed that we've accomplished. And the effect of that, because of what we just said with these other dimensions, is that we have a distance from God. But like we just said, God enters into that distance. That's kind of what we were just outlining with the process of atonement. So then can you explain then with how we just outlined sin from your book, how atonement is the bearing of sin in filial love suffering, like what you just showed with the prophetic dimension, how that actually is the case? All right. Identifying these three dimensions of sin in the Old Testament is it's it's not a novel idea, a discovery of my own. It, it really is the product of very careful biblical scholarship. It's it's there. The evidence is all there in sacred scripture that sin is seen as having these three dimensions: the inner attitude, turn away, the deed, and then the the consequent punishments. 
what atonement is going to entail then is conversion, but not simply, here's what we tend to think, oh, by conversion, it's restricted to turning the heart back toward God, and that's enough. No, what the Old Testament demonstrates is that all three dimensions of sin have to undergo conversion, if you will. First, remember the three. One, the inner attitude. You've got to turn back your heart toward God. That's typically what we think of as conversion. And that's right. You turn away from the evil deeds. Even that isn't enough. That third dimension, the consequent punishments, the the penalties, the consequences, effects of sin, those have to be dealt with. Those have to be turned around. Sin itself, in terms of its effects and consequences, has to be converted. And according to uh, this biblical theology of atonement, what the sinner has to do is, okay, once by the grace of God, God first, all right, will turn the sinner's heart back to him by God's initiative of love. Uh, There's a grace-induced conversion, repentance, by virtue of which the repentant person will no longer sin actively. Okay, so now we've got two first dimensions of sin dealt with, right? The heart's turned back to God. The transgressions, the evil deeds have ceased. But now, what to do with the effects and consequences of sin? Those are there. According to the Bible, the effects, the consequences of sin still need to be borne away. They they need to be dealt with. And the most prominent image for this in most of the Old Testament is the image of then the repentant beloved bearing these consequences, enduring these effects by virtue of its regenerated love as a repentant son. And it's the mystery of atonement is here you have the beloved by virtue of being opening one's heart to the love of God that induces or evokes repentance and a rekindled love for God, now has the love that's the animating power by which the repentant heart will bear the consequences of sin. In bearing the consequences of sin out of love, sin is atoned for. Effects of sin become an expression of even material for filial love, mirroring divine love, eternal love, as both eternal love and filial love affirm, assert their mutual love against sin, whose ultimate or primary consequence is estrangement, separation. The important point is this, Atonement entails conversion, not simply in the sense of turning one's heart back to God, but precisely by virtue of God's love, turning one's heart back to him. Therefore, by virtue of a love animated by the love of God in one, 
one now by the strength of, of love, one bears the effects of sin. Well, what is the chief effect of sin? Estrangement from God, separation from God. That has to be born, but born out of love. The fact that this is paradoxical, but the fact that the, the chief consequence of sin, estrangement from, distance from, separation from God, is born out of love, implying nearness to God. God is at work at me. He's engendering the love by which I bear the consequences of sin. We got a paradox here. Atonement. The one who atones is in one respect near to God again, near to God, because the one who atones has opened his heart to the power of divine love that is engendering in his beloved an answering love. And it's by virtue of this power of the answering love that the effects of sin are born, turned around. What is the chief effect of sin? Distance from God, alienation from God. And so it's only one who in one respect is near to God again, repentant, has grace alive in his heart, that is empowered to bear the distance that his own sin has wrought between himself and God. Let me give you a couple examples of this. And let me, let me turn, besides the one I had read to you, you can think back to the, the very um, first book of the Bible, Genesis. The, the chief consequence of sin in the end is what happens to Adam and Eve? They're exiled. Yeah, they're exiled from the garden. And what did the garden, what does that represent? That was the, the ambit. That was the, the milieu in, in which he enjoyed communion with God, intimacy with God. Their sin led to God estrangement. It led to their suffering a state of exile. After Genesis 3, the remainder of the Old Testament, you have humankind existing in exile, east of Eden. Now, later on in the Old Testament, again, you see God calling the people to himself as if he's recreating this relationship. And yet Israel will be unfaithful. Israel will disobey. And time and again, what is the chief consequence? The most graphic, undeniable consequence of sin? Exile. Exile to Assyria, the northern kingdom. Exile to Babylon. What is the outcome of sin? God estrangement, distance from God. And in the Bible, it's literal in the Old Testament, it's a geographical distance. But that geographical distance is indicative of spiritual distance. It's when they're suffering their exile, like this wife, when, when she's separated from her husband. And yet what she comes to see is that her husband never withdraws his love from her. That her husband, even as they're suffering legal separation, in effect, at a deeper spiritual level, he's accompanying her. He, he is keeping his love for her alive and ever demonstrating it, you know, and communicating to her his willingness to forgive. 
and his all-powerful love that is willing to endure a pained heart as he suffers her absence. And it's in, she now separated herself from him. She's like in a, in a marriage exile. But when she wakes up and now, and love is restored in her heart, she is now suffering exile with a pained heart. It's precisely while in exile that once her love for Yahweh is renewed in exile, she's not suddenly transported back, you know, to, to the Palestine, to the promised land. Tony now is her work in exile with love restored. The Israelites are to open their own hearts to the all-powerful passion of love that Yahweh has for them. And by the power of God's passion of love for them, face the consequences of their sin. They're in, they're in exile. Now they're exiled. This consequence is suffered totally differently. It becomes material for the expression of their renewed love for God. And quite frankly, Evan and I might be repeating myself way too much. But notice what's happening now. As they stand there willingly letting God's passion of love for them father them, reshape them into his image, willingly to endure sin as separation without revoking love, they're being rehabilitated as the living image of God under this sin-ruptured, sin-marred situation. You're shaking your head now. You see what God is after. This is no mere vengeance. What he aims to do is bring them to the fulfillment of their vocation. What's their vocation? To be the living image of God in this sin-marred world. Who is this God? It's a God of an all-powerful passion of love and in the face of sin. And so what he, he does, one and only one thing, he's going to father his living image, a, a filial passion of love, willingly to endure the consequences of sin, estrangement out of love. But because that the beloved filial love can love only by the power, and so with the connection, the nearness of paternal love, generative love, the atoner, due to God's, at one level, due to God's nearness, engendering, showing his passion of love and communicating his passion of love to and in his beloved, is asking his beloved, okay, now I'm near to you in this respect but it's to enable you to mirror me in this sin-marred world and answer my passion of love with your passion of love. And you've got to answer it by bearing the consequences of sin, separation at the same time. God is near as the animator and sustainer of the love, whereby the atoner at another level due to this love must suffer in another respect, the absence of God. So you've got yes. saints in, in Assyria, repentant people who are aligned with the love of God again, but now are suffering their exile with the most profound heartache. And in doing so, they're actually not becoming like the prophet Hosea. They, in their turn, are becoming sort of embodiments, living images of the all-powerful, passionate lover. Yahweh in the face of sin. 
We'll return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. I'm going to put a little bit of a bow on it just to pull some, just to pull some insights out of there. It's very rich. And this is exactly what we mean when we talk about God's wrath as love in the mode of self-concealment. That's what God's wrath is. So this is not a, um, a, a retconning of anything that you see in the Bible. That God, God really does have wrath. He really does. But this is a deeper understanding of that wrath as this is a strategic act on the part of God. He self-conceals himself to bring about our redemption. And so then I'll say one more thing. This is how we start to see 
that in God hiding his face from the Israelites, from the people that have been unfaithful to him, he is still empowering them by his love to annihilate that sin and the effects of sin. That's what atonement is. We're talking about that state of love suffering that they're experiencing. He's still in this very act, even though his wrath is still present as self-concealment. He also is the initial forgiver of the beloved as well. So the forgiveness comes from that generative act of love. And he's enabling us by his forgiveness to seek forgiveness and then to receive the forgiveness. So there's, there's something very powerful going on there. And I think that some key highlights that we can say here, and then we'll carry on in the next conversation, I think where we can go with it is um, talking a little bit more about Christ in particular, and then really diving in to the spiritual implications of this for all of our lives. But this is so important because we get to see that this is a completely free act of God. This is steeped in the scriptures. We see this happening all over the scriptures that God is sovereignly and passionately involved in history to bring man to redemption, but he's enabled us to be able to freely collaborate in this act of salvation. And so what we're seeing here in Israel leading up to Christ is that God has been patiently instructing a nation of people to be the teachers of the world of how his love wants to manifest itself. And then we'll see that in the image of all images, Jesus Christ, who only does what the father does. So he wants to reveal to us, not just, um, uh, hey, this happened one time in history. Um, here's this weird an anomalous atonement thing. But instead, Jesus wants to show us, hey, here's the new way of living in all of reality that I want to show you. It's living in me, in the sun. And so we'll kind of pick up there off of the spiritual implications next time. But I think there's so much that we could dive into, but I'd say for how deep and large the section on the Old Testament is in your book, we did a pretty good job. <laughs> well, you know, and yet I realized that you, you made the first mention of divine wrath which is, as you said, it's, it's not dismissed. It's, it's not glossed over in, in the book because it's not dismissed or glossed over in sacred scripture. The book is uh, one in which I rely heavily on what I call them my quartet, my four theological guides, Pope John Paul II, Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, Hans Urs von Balthasar, and Father Norbert Hoffman. And I rely, this, this, these are not uh, my novel insights. I'm indebted to these four masters of theology and the spiritual life who have tutored me more and more for over a period of decades to sit really at the, at the foot of the cross and come to know Christ crucified and the Father at work in him more and more deeply, Evan, as you said early on as well, in light of the cross of that, to go back and interpret the Old Testament. You know, I, I think of the, the apostles or the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, they're confused 
right after the triduum. They don't know what to make of it all. And Jesus accompanies them and then shows them, go back to scriptures, the Old Testament, and explaining to them everything that pertained to him. And so even my, the method of the book, this book on atonement is such that Christ is always the keystone to it all. And in light of Christ, the culmination of God's revelation of his love, a love that is ever active, aiming at redemption and sanctification. And we look back and we can discern more readily, look back from the climax of the New Testament, the climax of Christ's mission, the mission of the Son. We look back to the Old Testament and we can more readily identify the foreshadowings, the precursors, and so on, the images and patterns that are Christological, images and patterns that um, left to themselves still remain somewhat vague, and they, they gain their clarity only when they're seen to converge in the full gestalt, the full figure of Christ, the final and full interpreter of God. No one has ever seen God. It's the only son. Closest to the father's heart who has made him known, interpreted him by his own, I'll dare say, pierced heart. A heart that shows us the all-powerful passion of love that is God. A love that is relentless. A love that is active. All-powerful. Enabling his son and enabling us in and through his son to bear all things, endure all things, the consequences of us knuckleheads, our sins, the glory of God, and to the fulfillment of our vocation as God's living images, east of Eden, in this fallen world. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, your four guides, which we barely even mentioned, four men deeply steeped in the sacred heart of Jesus, deeply steeped in the scriptures, and especially in the tradition to kind of reassert your point, these ideas are not novel, but they're deeply present. And um, yeah, we can even mention a little bit more of their particular insights as we talk about the spirituality next time we get together. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek and your host, Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com as well as in the free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also view this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. To learn more about the book on which this series is based, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel this worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek.